We've been looking at the epistle to the Hebrews for the last few weeks in hopes of better understanding the challenges of following Christ here in Austin, Texas in the 21st century. And if you have been somewhat surprised at how relevant a letter written in the first century can be to the lives of people written in the 21st century, you shouldn't be. As Eric said a few weeks ago in the introduction to the letter, we don't know who wrote it. We don't really know who he wrote it to either. But amongst all of the different possibilities for his intended audience, the one that makes the most sense to me is this. It's written to young urban professionals, (laughs) people who had left their home in the country and gone to the big city, Rome, to get an education, to make a name for themselves, to prove that they are worth something. And in the process, they were working themselves to death. To them and to us, the writer of Hebrews says, the thing that you need most is rest. Look again in verse 3. As I swore in my wrath, they shall never enter my rest. This is a quote from Psalm 95, the passage we actually sang, set to music a little bit earlier in, the, in, in the, the service today. It needs a little background, I think, to be understood here in context. You remember, God has freed His people when they were slaves in Egypt. You remember the ten flags and the parting of the Red Sea and the drowning of Pharaoh's army, the feeding of His people with manna and quail and sustaining them with water from the rock. Then He brought them to Canaan the land that he had promised them and said, here, it's yours. Take it. And how did God's people respond? Numbers chapter 13. Then the men who had gone up with him said, we're not able to go up against those people. They're stronger than we are. Romans, uh, Numbers 14. And all the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The whole congregation said to them, would that we had died in the land of Egypt or that we had died in this wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us to this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become a prey. Would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? Have you ever bent over backwards to help somebody? only to have him or her complain to you about everything that you did. What would you consider to be an appropriate reward for such ingratitude? God's answer here, no rest. Does it seem like an odd punishment to you? What would you consider to be the least important of the Ten Commandments? And by least important, I mean the one that you can ignore without most people noticing and letting you get away with it, right? The first one, no other gods. The spiritual but not religious crowd might be okay with that, but all my church friends wouldn't be. No idols. As if I had a statue, that would get me into trouble. But as long as most of my idols are invisible, <laughs> I can get away with that one. 
Uh, take the name of the Lord, my God, in vain. My mother used to wash my mouth out with soap for that one. Honor your father and mother. Don't murder. Don't commit adultery. Don't lie. Don't steal. And don't be greedy. Every one of them is seriously problematic, right? But I'm missing one, aren't I? Number four, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. <laughs> no one does this anymore. And no one cares about me if I don't do it either. Well, almost no one cares. Judith Shulevitz wrote this book back in 2011. It's entitled, The Sabbath World, Glimpses of a Different Order of Time. It's the story of her growing up in an Orthodox Jewish family and hating the Sabbath observances, starting on Friday evening and going through Saturday evening, including most of the day on Friday getting ready. You're not allowed to do anything. And it drove her mad. So when she grew up and finally was on her own, she devoted herself to the freedom of living, working, and having fun 24-7 if she wanted to until something unusual happened. She describes it like this. About a decade ago, I developed a, a full-blown weekend disorder. Perhaps because I'm Jewish, it came on Friday nights. My mood would darken until by Saturday afternoon, I'd be unresponsive and morose. My normal routine, which involved brunch with friends, swapping tales of misadventure in the relentless quest for romance and professional success, made me feel impossibly restless. I started spending Saturdays by myself. And after a while, I got lonely and did something that as a teenager, put off by her religious education, I could never have imagined wanting to. I began dropping in to the nearby synagogue. Simply put, Ms. Shulevist remembered, she realized that by denying rest, she had lost something essential, something more important to her than she had ever realized. It's not just her problem, is it? Our culture's relationship with work is seriously out of whack. We abuse work more than any other culture in the world or any other culture that has ever existed. In part, this is a technological problem uh, because of the invention of the computer and of the internet, you can now work at home. Once upon a time, you actually had to go to work in order to work. Now your work is with you all the time. Now, there's a good side to this, to be sure. My older son, <laughs> lived on Long Island and worked in Boulder, Colorado for a number of years. Uh, the advantage to this was it enabled him to be with his wife, who was doing a residency on Long Island at the time. That's good. The bad side, though, as we've all become more familiar with in the COVID era, is that when your work is at home, you have to leave home to get away from work. And that's hard. 
And the technology that makes it possible for you to work at home also makes it possible for the businessmen in China to compete with you for your work, which makes the pressure even worse. Ours is in part a technological problem, but not all, not even mostly. It's a cultural problem too. Once upon a time, in traditional societies, your worth depended on your family, who your mama and your daddy were, and where you were from, what's your hometown. Now, these things matter much less, if at all. Now, you are what you do, and that makes your work way more important. Now, even raising children can be a competitive activity. Ms. Shulovitz puts it like this. Parents no longer set up swing sets in the corners of their backyards. They hire professionals to erect sprawling wooden castles that consume half the lawn. Parents line up at 5 a.m. to get slots in just the right neighborhood preschool and bring their children to specialists upon noticing the slightest delay in speech or motor coordination. Desperate to maximize their children's levels of attachment and developmental capacity, they turn marital beds into family beds, flash baby Einstein cards if they are three months old, enroll toddlers in nonstop improving activities. Even raising children can be a competitive activity. We are in trouble as a culture. Ours is the most workaholic culture in history, and as a result, no one has ever been as restless as we are. Look again in Hebrews 4. If you have some trouble following the line of thought, whoever wrote this, you aren't alone. Because here in these verses, the writer of Hebrews uses the word rest to mean at least three different things. In verse 3, for as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Here, rest means the promised land, Canaan, the, the land that God promised Abraham and his decision, descendants. And the connection to Canaan and rest was more obvious to the Jews at the time than it ever could be for us. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 15 you shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. And the Lord brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath holy. You see the connection. You used to be a slave. You aren't. And that's why you rest. It's simple, really. Anyone who works all the time is a slave. Anyone who overworks is a slave. That's why, for followers of Jesus, resting is such a subversive activity. The first way that rest is used here is the promised land. The second way in verse 4. For he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way, and God 
rested on the seventh day from all his works. A couple of years ago, I was studying the book of Genesis with a number of college students, and we get to Genesis chapter 2, verse 2, which says this, on the seventh day, God finished the work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. One of the students asked the very obvious question, what does it mean that God rested? Good question. It doesn't mean that he got tired. When you're almighty, you don't get tired. No. What Genesis said, that everything that God had made was good. It didn't need doing anymore. God was satisfied with himself and with what he had done, and therefore he rested. Do you ever sleep well and wake up not feeling rested, (laughs) and then wonder why in the world. You see, there's more to rest than stopping stopping working. Ms. Shulevitz again, pardon me. Most people mistakenly believe that all you have to do to stop working is not work. The inventors of the Sabbath understood that it was a much more complicated undertaking. You cannot downshift casually and easily the way you might slip into a bed at the end of a long day. As the cat in the hat says, it's fun to have fun, but you have to know how. This is why the Puritan and Jewish Sabbaths were so exactingly intentional, requiring extensive advance preparation. At the very least, a scrubbed house, a full larder, and a bath. The rules didn't exist to torture the faithful. They were meant to communicate the insight that interrupting the ceaseless round of striving requires a surprisingly strenuous act of will, one that has to be bolted by habit as well as by social sanction. You understand Ms. Yulevitz's point here? Working is simple, it's just what you do. Resting is way more complicated. It has to do with who you are and how you look at yourself. I remember many, many years ago, coming home from college for Christmas break and driving myself crazy, I couldn't relax I was anxious, I was irritable, couldn't figure out why, and then it dawned upon me. I was feeling guilty for not studying. Now, I realize that not all of you were as insane about grades as I was, so don't don't worry about that. But I imagine everybody can relate to the feeling somewhat, you know? I gotta prove myself, I'm not okay. I don't matter until I accomplish something. It's a feeling that no vacation can ever cure. And until it's cured, it will make you a slave. The third way rest is used in this passage in the beginning of verse 3. For we who have believed enter that rest. This rest is different from the other two. 
This rest is the gospel rest. How do we get that rest? Look in verses 12 and 13. The Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart, and no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. This is confusing, isn't it? The rest of the passage is about rest, and then all of a sudden he's talking about being dissected, being naked, being exposed. What's this got to do with rest? In Genesis 1 and 2, when God made Adam and Eve and placed them in the Garden of Eden, they were naked, but they were not ashamed. Being naked for them wasn't a problem because they weren't guilty of anything. And because they weren't guilty, they had no anxiety, they had no fears, they had no insecurities. There was nothing in them that they felt they needed to cover up. But when they sinned and turned against God, they covered up, they made clothes for themselves, for fig leaves, because they weren't okay as they were any longer. The same thing that drives you to overwork is the same thing that drove them to make fig leaf clothing for themselves. Of course, our cover-ups are a little more subtle these days than fig leaves. For example, those of you who are single and still aspire to being married, Do you find yourself daydreaming about spending the rest of your life with someone who is considerably less attractive than you are? Probably not. Or to all of us, do you find yourself daydreaming about what it would be like to spend the rest of your life with considerably less money than you have right now? Not really. Because these are our fig leaves. These are the things that we rely on to make us feel that we matter, that we're okay, that we count in the end. And until you see it, see your spiritual nakedness, you'll never understand verse 10. Whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his You see, there's nothing wrong with work. God made us to work. God himself works. Work only becomes a problem. It becomes an idol when it's self-justifying. Repenting of evil is really hard. Repenting of the good things that you do is even harder. Think about it. It's good to be kind to people, of course, but not if I'm being kind to people in order to manipulate them into being kind to me, or so that God will bless me, or so that I can prove to myself that I really am a nice person in the end. The problem with this kind of work, you can never do enough of it to feel good about yourself. Any of you remember the old film, Chariots of Fire? 
came out in 1981, won the Oscar for best film that year. It's the story of two men who both won gold medals in the 1924 Olympics. Uh, Harold Abrams, best line in the movie. Uh, when that gun goes off, I've got 10 seconds in which to justify myself. And Eric Liddell, his best line, God made me for a purpose. For China, he died in China as a missionary during World War II. But he also made me fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. Two men, both working hard. One running to be sure of who he is. The other running because he knows who he is. And as a result, one who is always weary, even when resting. And the other one is always resting, even when working. The question that you have to answer this morning is, which one do you want to be? Look again in verse 13. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. The Greek word that's translated exposed here is similar to the word that we get our word tracheotomy from. <laughs> and it literally means to bend your neck back to make your throat more vulnerable to the stroke of a knife. It's used in the scripture to, sacrifice, to describe sacrifices in the temple. Here, the writer of Hebrews is using it to describe us as we stand before God. Our sin exposed before His holiness. What possible hope do we have? Verses 14 through 16, which are not printed in your program, by the way. Since then, we have a great high priest who passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Jesus was stripped naked so that we could be clothed in His righteousness. He was cut off so that we could be brought in. He was rejected by His Father so that we could be adopted. And at the end, He said, it is finished. Not just His work on our behalf, but our need to justify ourselves. Apart from Christ, there is no rest. Apart from Him, every day is the same. And the law of the jungle, the survival of the fittest, applies every day. If you rest, you die. Only Christ can say, Come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. In a moment, we will rest together around the Lord's table, but before we do, let's pray. Dear Lord, we try so hard to clothe ourselves in accomplishments that don't last. 
Please, we pray, set us free from the slavery of our own pride. Remind us of your great love for us, that we might confess our sin before you without fear and be clothed in your righteousness. And we pray it in Christ's name. Amen.